that that could be a prayer time, what we just did? That that could be a moment of prayer? Thinking about the children that come up here and, and give? And, and what if, as they're giving the, the coins and the <clears throat> checks and the bills, what if we're giving up a prayer at the same time? Because I've seen over the years that we've done this, I've seen our own children who, who've been born to families here. I see foster children. I see children that are guests from our community. And what if our prayer could be that every one of those children fulfills a special role in what God does? Somebody might say, you know, but that, that, that's not the statistics. I mean, the chances, the odds don't favor that. Well, I don't worship statistics, and I don't think you do either. But I worship a God who can do amazing things in the life of people that defy all the odds and expectations of this world. Would you pray with me for just a second? Uh, just symbolically, I'm going to just take these, these, these buckets, remembering that these kids have given this gift, and I want us to pray about every little person that comes up here and makes these gifts. Would you pray with me? Father, it is our prayer that you will create here a culture and an opportunity where all, where all of these little children have an opportunity to see a vision for what you can do in their lives. That as they grow older, that as they become adults, they'll understand that there are a group of people who have always loved them and spoken a blessing over them in God's name. And Father, I ask that you would be with those who are raising them. I pray that you would be with those who are mentoring them. And I pray that their, their gifts, although we may call them small, will not be small in the kingdom. And we know that they'll be magnified in the kingdom. And Lord, we pray that you would bless them so that that spirit of generosity in them becomes soon not just the giving of coins and paper money, but it becomes the giving of lives that will make a difference in this world. So, Father, we ask a blessing on this moment and every moment in worship where we have an opportunity to encourage and bless these children. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, do you have your prayer cards that has the name of some of those children? I think we still had a few of those left, like less than a dozen that are on that glass table out there. So when you leave today, check and see if those, those cards are there because your prayers every day for those uh, children, those students, those educators, uh, th- that, will, that will become important. And that's another way of blessing people to thrive and to live in God's world. That was all extra. Uh, how about we preach a little bit here too? Um, yeah, that was unscripted. The, um, maybe I ought to quit while I'm ahead, but at this point I'm going to, I'm going to cheat a little bit uh, because um, I, uh, this, this, this title, if you're going to be a shepherd, walk in the pasture. Credit to that title goes to my brother David Chadwell right here, who uh, We've been on staff together here for this congregation, if you didn't know it. And uh, I want to thank David and Joyce. They, they blessed my family when we moved here in 2003. David, by the way, you can get this book, this resource, and I posted it. You can get it online at davidchadwell.com. Okay, Ask us if you need help finding it. But it's available on, as an e, e-read book on Kindle. And I think that's a good book for us to be reading right now as we go through this process of selecting additional shepherds. 
Okay? Now, I, it doesn't matter if you're going to possibly be a shepherd or if you're going to be the, the, the sheep that follow a shepherd. This book that David wrote is aimed at not only leaders, but at the congregations that follow leaders. And it's one of the things that I really appreciate about this work. Now, I didn't ask David beforehand if I could do this with my sermon. I think he's, he, he's, he's waiting. He's reserving judgment on this, but the, uh, he wants to see what I come up with. But I do know this, having worked with him, all of those materials are free for anyone to use. Uh, David allows the use of his materials freely. They are very, and they are very useful materials. And I hope that I'm using them quite usefully. And for the children, today's sermon is brought to you by the letter U. And uh, the thoughts that this book brings out are very important in this process because we've talked a lot about what are shepherds, uh, how, how do we recognize a shepherd? But one of the questions that has been asked frequently is, why are we looking for new shepherds? And some people just wonder, why now? Is, this, is there a particular reason for this time now? Uh, even from the day that all of the shepherds stood here on the stage and we confirmed it still, people want to know, okay, who's stepping down? Uh, you know, that, that, we've, that we've got to replace some of them. I think that when you look at a book like... Uh, uh, if you want to be a shepherd, walk in the pasture, it explains that shepherds are part of God's purposes to create a thriving and healthy congregation. So that a congregation with godly shepherds and godly people working together, working closely together, that's the indication of the title, it thrives and it accomplishes God's purposes in this world. So the ultimate answer to why are we naming shepherds is so that we can be even more about the business of making disciples for Jesus who are eager to serve others. That when men accept the calling to be a shepherd, they grow in their discipleship, they encourage others to be disciples, and we as a congregation reach out and make more disciples and we raise up disciples within us. Uh, David's work recognizes a real concern, something that can happen, and when it does, it can prevent a congregation from thriving and glorifying God. Um, oh, my animations are all messed up here. But anyway, the, uh, you've got your shepherds and your leaders, and you've got the sheep and the congregation. But a gap can form between the shepherds and the leaders and the sheep and the congregation. And that gap separates the leaders from the congregation. It separates the shepherds from the sheep. What is it that causes that gap? I think that in the book, David has pointed out very well that it's two things. One, the unrealistic expectations of a congregation will create the gap. Two, the focus on, being on, on the leadership, being an administrative force, rather than focusing on people, that will contribute to the gap. And that, that, that focus could come from within the leadership itself, or it could come from within the congregation the real problem with the gap is that it separates a godly leadership from a godly people. And they no longer thrive or they're no longer spiritually effective to do all that God has called them to. As David would tell you many times, just think about this. Just think about this and think about how it might work. 
I mean, if the congregation or the shepherds do not adjust these two forces, then it becomes a vicious cycle. Just, just think about it. If the congregation, and by the way, our shepherds have said all through this year, we are not a board of directors, we are not an administrative force. And yet, if the congregation wants them to be an administrative force, or even within themselves, they do not manage the, the habits, because the habits of administration, I mean, there are things that we have to do administratively, but we always have to hold those in check so that they serve God's purposes and not institutional purposes. But if that secondary force comes in and starts to focus the relationship between leader and people as an administrative Board of directors, official, representative, congressional. You, you throw any of the models of leadership that we have in this world today. If that pushes us to that, then what's going to happen? The unrealistic expectations are going to increase this force, which is going to create more, unreal, more unrealistic expectations, which is just going to make this force stronger, which is going to create even more unrealistic expectations. And before you know it, We've got leadership and people removed from one another. So the title is very illustrative. There's got to be that bond between sheep and shepherds. If you want to be a shepherd, you've got to walk in the pasture. You can't shepherd by drone. You can't shepherd by remote control. You, you, you have to be in the field. Um, how then do, I mean, walking in the pasture closes the gap, but walking in the pasture is a metaphor. By the way, David, I'll have to ask you later what you meant by walking in the pasture because um, uh, this is a great picture of a pasture. I thought about having another picture up there of some, something that usually happens when you walk in the pasture, but I didn't want to ruin your appetites. My, my mother got very upset when we would wear our best shoes into the pastures uh, because one misstep and suddenly your best shoes are no longer your best shoes. I don't, care, I don't care how much you scrub, it never comes out, okay? It's always in there somewhere. If you still don't know what I'm talking about, go ask a farmer, okay? The, um, walking in the pasture can be messy, and I think that's implied here, that walking in the pasture can be dirty, and we cannot be afraid to be dirty with the, the, you know, get into the mud. That We cannot be afraid of the muck because that's what we're going to find in this world. We cannot be afraid of it. We just have to walk boldly and with care. Not arrogantly, but for the purposes of caring for one another. The, the walk in the pasture, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of giving you the highlights of, uh, of the book, would look like this. First of all, congregations would find ways to encourage and not crush the leaders. That's a line from David's book. What I take that to mean is that we're going to find ways to follow the wisdom and the guidance and the counsel of our leaders in such a way that it encourages them. Not because they feel like, well, you know, I'm right, or not because they feel like uh, they're, they're affirmed in their conclusions, but because they know that they're fulfilling God's purposes. That, that through the things that God has done in their lives, they know that they can be of benefit to others. I believe this is why men accept 
the role of shepherd, the, the good reasons, the best reasons why men accept this role. Because they want to do something good for others. They want to build up the church. The church, likewise, should understand then that we have this opportunity to encourage them in their leadership. It's those unrealistic demands that will create that crushing of soul and crushing of spirit, and it will create discouragement. Secondly, leaders must resist the call or the push or the inclination to be administrators removed from people, removed from needs. One of the things that David points out in the book is this, that the job, the purpose of a shepherd is not to buy up acreage. The purpose of a shepherd is not to build barns. The purpose of a shepherd is not to build sheep pens. Now, all of those things have a role in caring for the needs of the sheep, but they are means to an end and not the end in itself. If you've got a lot of land and you've got barns and you've got pens and you even have that really cool staff with the hook on it, but you don't have any sheep, you're just a landowner carrying around a funky cane, okay? That's all it is. But if you've got sheep, even if you don't have all of the rest of that, you are a shepherd. Closing the gap means that we understand that, and by the way, we being congregation and leaders understand that we've got to draw closer together and walk together. Why? Because when the gap is closed, we become more spiritually effective. Closing the gap makes a congregation spiritually effective. And we can even walk through the pasture, whether it's an easy walk or a hard walk, or whether that walk is very smooth or whether that walk is very sticky. We're going to walk through it together. And, and, and we're, going to, we're going to be effective, and we're going to all together accomplish God's purposes. I'll take one more thought from the book. It's the idea of the spirit of us. When you see the shepherd and the sheep, and they are often close together, following. Sometimes the sheep follow right behind the shepherd. Sometimes the sheep gather around the shepherd. But they're all moving together with one another. I believe that this is why God gave us the image of shepherds as leaders. It's the image that God gave us for his kings. And that set the kings of Israel apart from all other royalty in the world. It's the image that God gave us for leaders in the church. It's the image that Jesus Christ himself used when he said, I am the good shepherd. That image fits because it is distinct from almost every other form, every other model of leadership that you can take from the world that you can take from cultures now and cultures in ancient times, where those forms of leadership often involve title, rank, station, status. And people are told to keep your station, know your place, know your rank, don't get out of order. Do your duty, follow those in the chain of command, respect those who are better than you. Those are worldly models. Or you turn it over, make it very American, and our elected people work for us. They are the ones who represent us. We, can, we don't trust them. We have to hold them by a tight leash. 
But even though we have representatives in this country and elected officials, there's a growing distrust of those officials. And we want to disempower them because we're not sure that they serve in our best interest sometimes. The biblical image of leadership is one where leaders and people come close together. The gap is closed and they walk together through the pasture. That spirit of us, when we get, I mean, if, if, if we're focusing on how there is an us-them among the people of God, the leaders, the elders, the ministers, the people, the deacons, you know, we have all of our titles for people. And if we focus on how they're all different, then we're not going to understand how we are one and how that oneness matters in God's world. If we, focuses on the, if we focus on the differences among us, we're going to miss the opportunity to show the world a better way. <clears throat> Israel often misunderstood its role in the world. Uh, a text like Isaiah 49.6, Isaiah is saying to Israel, It is too small a thing for me to simply restore Israel. God's saying, I've always had a bigger vision. I've always had this great big vision where Israel is just the, it's just the beginning. It's the, it's, it's the tip of the iceberg. Israel is the emergence of a people who live close with God in order to set an example to all the other nations on earth of how it ought to be done. But Israel often got it wrong. And they misunderstood. They thought that God's point was in preserving them from the rest of the world and making them special to the exclusion of the rest of the world. But hey, let's be careful before we judge them. Sometimes that's what the church has thought about itself throughout the ages. Sometimes it's very easy for us to think that our mission is to keep ourselves different from everybody else. Yes, I understand there's verses that say, keep yourselves unspotted from the world. Yes, I get that. But that's not the mission. That's just basic health, okay? That's just basic spiritual health that allows us to stay on mission, which is to get the rest of the world to understand how much God loves them. We've got to set an example to the rest of the world of how human men and women can live together in community, loving one another because we all love God. In Acts 15... The early church has to come together and wrestle with the fact that things are changing. Now, in their view, things are changing. Do we grasp the significance of how much of a change is represented? Acts 15 is where all of the church leaders come together in Jerusalem. And up until now, the church has, you know, in Acts 15, the church had been a Jewish thing. Okay, They all came from the same background. They all understood the stories. They all read the same book. They, spake, they, 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 they mostly were speaking the same language, but there were other languages. But even still, they're using the same words and the same stories and referring to it. There's some Greek there. There's some Hebrew. There's some other languages. But they all still have the same basic understanding. In, in that group, even if there's different languages represented, you could say Messiah, and everybody know what you're talking about. But now all of a sudden you get these Gentile people coming in. These Gentile people who are coming into the church, they're not like us. They dress funny. They got weird haircuts. They eat sushi. 
I mean, there's things about them that it's just, that's odd, you know. They eat bacon. That's, that's, you know, smells good, tastes good, but God said no. And, uh, you know, they, they do things differently. And if you say the word Messiah among them, they don't know what you're talking about. But they've met Jesus Christ. They've seen the Spirit of Christ. They're coming, to, they're coming to Jesus Christ the same way that the Jewish believers are coming to Jesus Christ, and they have to accept that. Now, how do you get them together? They begin to understand that there's a spirit of us here that transcends these things. And even though there's going to be differences, they're going to have to figure out how they are in this together. That's going to take the work of the leaders. That's going to take the work of the Holy Spirit. That's going to take a group forming the spirit of us so that they can be about God's mission to save the whole world. In fact, when the church leaders in Jerusalem go back and look at Scripture, they say, there's a lot of changes here for us, but guess what? God has always intended this to be the case. What I appreciate about the, uh, the writing in this book that David has shared with us is that, is that we begin to see, you, you can sum it up with leaders being the ones who help us close the gap, but they can't do it alone. It's it's a two-way effort, and we have to follow them too. There is one verse in Scripture that I think sums it up, and that's Hebrews 13, 17. And I've looked at this verse in a different way after reading this book, and I hope you will look at this verse in a different way too. Because often this, this verse is used something like a club, okay? And it stops with the first three words... When it is used like a club, obey your leaders. There's more. But obey your leaders means it's time for everybody to get with the program, do what the leaders say. And by the way, it's not leaders that necessarily say that to people. Sometimes other people in the congregation say that to other people. Not because they necessarily want them to obey the leaders, but they want them to obey them. These things happen. Okay, I'm speaking in generalities. I'm not, if this applies to us, then so be it. You examine it and decide if it applies to us. Part of my job is to share with you things that we need to watch out for. Okay, Things that we need to pay attention to. Hebrews 13, 17 is such an important verse because it is saying you, you need to understand that the relationship between your, you and your leaders comes together in such a way that you need to walk through the pasture together. And by the way, it's that word obey. That probably, that probably, probably has some, um, some, some, gets some reaction from people. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, and this is not because I'm, you know, I'm squirreling with it. Uh, I had to go back. I had to look at this. I don't like the translation obey. And I can't find an English translation that I do like, okay? Uh, I don't like obey, not because, now in 1611, it could have been a really good translation. But English has changed since 1611, uh, it may be a, a really good translation in a lot of ways. But here's the thing I want you to know about that. And I'm trying not to be too nerdy with this. That word, the word behind the word obey, is the same word in Matthew 27, verse 43, where Jesus is on the cross and the crowds come up and they say, he trusts in God, let God deliver him. Now, you could have translated it, he obeys God, let God deliver him. But doesn't, doesn't the meaning change when you go from obey to trust? Obey, the way we use it now in English, says 
follow the rules, don't ask questions. But the word trust means much more, doesn't it? Trust says, yes, I, you will do. You will follow the instructions of somebody that you trust. Not only because you know that you must, but because you know it's good. Because you know that it's best. Because you trust in that person. Jesus Christ did not obey God simply because he was told to. Jesus Christ obeyed God because he placed all of his trust in God. Even when it didn't seem like the best thing to do, he remained faithful and put his trust in God. Does that mean he was obedient to God? Well, yes, but he was motivated by that. Now, that's the same word in Matthew that you see here in Hebrews 13. You could translate this, trust in your leaders. You might have to emphasize what it's, what's being said there. Do what they say. And, of course, that comes in with the word submit. The word could really be translated as place your confidence. You, can, you, know, you put your confidence in your leaders. It is a call. It's an instruction that tells us that this is something that we need to do. Why? Because they are responsible for keeping watch over your souls as, as people, as watchmen who will give an account. Now, let me say something to that just very quickly. I know that sometimes that creates the idea. Oh, which elder wants me to pick on him? Come on. <laughs> Michael? Yeah, okay, Michael. Good. Larry nominated Michael. You know, and actually, Michael's a good example. I'll tell you why. Here, you'll see. That when Michael became an elder, he's responsible for all my sins. So, you know, the fact that I go over to Choctaw Casino every, every weekend and I, you know, I gamble away all of my money and, uh, you know, all of my sins, guess what? Michael's going to take a hit for that because he's my shepherd. I mean, he's responsible for me. It's up to him to get me into heaven, and he had better do it because if he doesn't, we're both going to hell. Now, that is an exaggerated version of what we actually sometimes think this verse says. That elders are somehow responsible. I say Michael's a good example because Michael's also a physician. And a patient can go to Michael and he can say, listen, here's what's wrong with me. Michael, with his wisdom, Michael, with his experience, can, can look, at, look at someone and say, you know, I think what you've got to do is, and he might say this to a guy like me, you might need to lose some weight, you know. He, he, you, you, need to, you need to eat right. You need to exercise. Well, all right, you better make me. Now, he's told me what is good for me. His responsibility is to give me the truth as a physician, yes? My responsibility, then, is to put it into practice. Now, we can understand that with physicians. Go back and pick on Larry. Larry may tell you where to invest your money, okay? He's going to give you the best advice. But if you say, I don't know, I don't know about Larry, you know, I'm going to stick this money in a Folgers can and, you know, stick it, over, stick it over here somewhere. Well, that's a strategy. You can do that. But he's not responsible. He's just responsible for giving you reliable, reasonable advice. Now, if we can understand that with financial advisors, with physicians, with other professions, why can't we understand that with the leaders in the church? Is this that difficult? It's saying here, too, that all of us are accountable to God. You see, shepherds have to give an account 
to God. They're not asking you to obey them because they have to be the ones in charge. Early on when I became a Christian, started going on mission trips, learning things, I learned about other congregations. There was one congregation in particular that the story really, really impacted me. One day, somehow, somewhere along the line, the shepherds of that congregation had decided that anyone who does the Lord's Supper or comes up and leads a prayer had better be wearing a coat and tie. Well, of course, a younger group says, we're going to rebel against that. Look at me, I'm still a rebel. And so, you know, I mean, they weren't, no, no, they weren't going to. That didn't matter. And instead of it becoming a moment for teaching and instruction, guess what it turned into? The gap widened. And at that point, the leaders said, we've got to prove that we're in charge. Obey your leaders. Obey your leaders. And the other group just dug in their heels and they said, we'll do what's right. Because we're, we're not just defying you. We're standing up for the spirit of what's right. You know how much good that church did in its community? Not a whole lot. And if they did, it was despite that, because that was in the way. They were letting the gap keep them from thriving spiritually. Shepherds, we should obey shepherds, our leaders, because they have to give it, they're responsible to God for the thriving of the community. And when we do, it becomes good for us as well. And can you see here in this scripture now that Giving the shepherds, giving our leaders, and by the way, the word here is not elders. The word here is just leaders. King James will say those who have authority over you. That's kind of a tortured English translation. I I know King King James, it's good, but sometimes these guys are just guys, right? I mean, uh, they put their pantaloons on one leg at a time just like anybody else. So they... uh, they, that's 1611, see? So they, uh, but they were, they're trying to get the spirit of that word, which that word is not specific to elders or anything. It's just saying, look, the people who have responsibility over you, make it a joy for them to lead you. Because if you don't make it a joy, if you crush them, what good is that to you? It doesn't help you. It's harmful to you. And they, they want to lead you not because they need to feel like they're in charge, not because they have to save face and show everybody, we made our decision and everybody will obey. They lead because they're accountable to God. And we're all accountable to God. We place our trust and confidence in our spiritual leaders and we yield to their guidance. That's what the word submit means. And what the goal of it is, and you can see it now in this scripture, is that when there is that harmony between the leaders and the congregation then the leaders have the joy of knowing that what they do is for the good of the people. And the people know that this is to their benefit because disobeying it for no good reason, other than to be independent, other than to be difficult, would be detrimental to everyone. The end result of walking in the pasture together with the Spirit of us and the Spirit of God is that you will have a spiritually thriving family. By the way, that same word about trust is used in Hebrews 2.13 as well, where Jesus says, I will put my trust in him. Who do you trust in? Who do you trust? Every good spiritual leader wants you to trust in them because they place their trust in Jesus Christ. And, and we put our trust in those men, and, and even, even others, even others that we see, you know, despite whatever their role or title may be, who we know can lead us to be more like Christ. 
But it all begins by each and every one of us placing our trust in Jesus Christ. David, I want to thank you for your work that encourages us, and we thank you for your leadership, for drawing us closer to Christ. I want to thank all of you who have a hand in in encouraging one another. And I want to ask that all of us find ways to encourage those who follow, to encourage those who lead, and let us be a thriving congregation that shows the world the wisdom and the, of God's ways and shows the world just how much good it can be if we love God and love one another. As we stand and sing this song, shepherds will be willing to pray for you in room 100. Shepherds will be willing to pray here. And if you want to place your trust in Jesus Christ and be baptized into Christ, we welcome you this morning. Let's stand, let's sing.